Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to uh, the first QPSC of this calendar year. This is the January 27th uh, QPSC. We will open up with roll call, please. Trustee Bouquet. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Dong has an excused absence. Trustee Jensen. Here. Trustee Splendoria. Here. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, we forgot to name Trustee Banerjee. Trustee Banerjee, I'm so sorry. Trustee no Banerjee. Here. Thank you. Got it. We have a full session. With that, we will go to item A, which is election of the chair for this committee. Um, uh, may I entertain any motions? I'll move to nominate Trustee uh, Bouquet as chair of QPSC. Second. Uh, I'll entertain any other motions for the QPSC. Chair. I'll call the question. Got it. Well, that, uh, uh, let's go to a roll call, please, Rana. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Abstain. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Absolutely yes. <laughs> Motion passes. Thank um, you. I vote yes too. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, Trustee Chinson. I need to get my list updated apparently, I'm so sorry. Got it. It's all cool. Okay, uh, thank you. So with that, we will go past item A and we'll go into item B, which is the QPSC chair uh, agenda item. Uh, 20 minutes have been allocated to this. Uh, we started about five minutes late, so maybe we can gain some time. Um, uh, item B1 is entitled Introduction and Orientation to the QPSC for New Committee Members. And um, what I'll say is I'm the only continuing on QPSC member. Trustee Banerjee has previously been on this committee. Trustee Jensen has previously been on this committee. But, but we're all here reframing and resetting together. So I thought I'd want to spend just actually a few minutes reorienting, reorienting us to what what uh, what we're going to be doing here, and this is of course for the audience as well. I, I like to start out our orientation with our sense of purpose, and our purpose actually comes from the Board of Trustees Policies and Procedures, Appendix J, for those of you who are interested. And uh, I'm going to read to you the purpose of the QPSC. The Quality and Professional Service Committee is established to provide oversight and leadership for medical staff credentialing, review of organizational policies, and monitoring of organizational quality assurance, performance improvement, and safety programs. The QPSC is charged with continuing the practice of direct communication with medical staff leaders on issues of clinical operations and patient care. So that's our charge uh, for us, and I, I, I think uh, reannouncing our purpose is always a, a great thing to do as we as we start off a committee. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask our um, uh, uh, Rana to include our committee charter in some of the standing documents for this committee, maybe at the end or something. So we can always, it's always there for reference to remind ourselves what we're doing here. This also, there, there's also a set of about 10 or 15 other responsibilities, which all relate uh, here. So that's our purpose. And um, that's why we're here. And of course, we'll have some dialogue in just a second. Um, over the past two or three years, we've developed the QPSC agenda with a regular cadence in mind. 
And, um, and I, what I want you to know uh, as I continue on as chair is we can continuously evolve how we do things. And that's how we did it in the prior iterations of, uh, of it. And I wanna talk about through some of orienting through the agenda uh, so pe people know how things are flowing and that and, and understand a little bit of the history as well. So first big item um, is we have moved closed session to the end of this meeting. This is going to be new for anyone who's been coming and I uh, hopefully will be better for everyone. We've, we've, we've gotten definitely some feedback on opening with closed session because the audience would come into the room, we'd call roll call, and then go into closed session for undisclosed periods of time. So uh, closed session is, is out of respect for the public and, and, and our audience. Closed session now follows. Uh, just to, as a reminder to other trustees, what happens in closed session? Uh, uh, this is the place where we talk about medical staff credentialing, issues that might require HIPAA protection, and conference with our general counsel who's in here in the room. That's really the sole purpose of it. There, you'll, you'll hear this term 1157 protection. We'll talk about what that is. That's basically governing all those kind of things. Apart from that, I think our philosophy is we want to shine the light of day on everything that we can, um, uh, apart, you know, uh, infringing on HIPAA rights and uh, the credentialing of in individuals and what the general counsel uh, advises to us. So, so that's what will happen in the closed session to follow. Um, I'm going to continue on with opening up with our every board meeting with a, a QPSC chair item, and we'll we'll maybe talk about this will sort of be a uh, circumspection around what we've been doing, and and for the past two years we've been introducing an article for group reading, and uh, I, I I highly encourage you guys to at least read that article. Uh, know that I'm attentive to selecting everyone's articles, which will uh, suit people's attention spans. Uh, this evening's article is only two or three pages. So uh, uh, that's going to go part and parcel with what we're trying to do here, which is educate one another. Item C will be the consent agenda. This is, this is going to be the most prodigious part of your reading for the whole evening. This will be approval of the minutes. It will be approval of policies and procedures. This evening we have 21, so that was a couple hundred pages for all of you, uh, including a venerable pet policy for disaster pet policy. And, and, and then we will also talk about issues related to uh, uh, privileging and the like. That will be the consent agenda. We usually move through that pretty quickly unless a trustee might have a comment or question, which sometimes occur because there's a lot of policies and procedures here. Item D is, is sort of gets to the meat of it. As I said, the purpose, one of the purposes of this meeting is to interface with our medical staff leaders. This is the medical staff reporting section where we'll hear from our med staff leaders. Uh, remember, we have two medical staffs under the Aegeus of Alameda Health System. We have the Alameda Hospital medical staff and the Alameda Health System medical staff, which includes San Leandro and um, Highland campuses. A little bit of background on this. Um, not un, not so long ago, we used to have three medical staffs. We had a San Leandro medical staff, we had an Alameda Hospital medical staff, and we had a Highland medical staff. We um, therefore heard from three chiefs of staff. Uh, uh, being being mindful of that we're still evolving our relationships, we therefore have kept a position for the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee, even though that's not technically a, 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 a chief of staff. Dr. Afzali is going to be our standard 
for representing um, re representing the San Leandro Hospital medical staff. We, this used to be a larger item, and and uh, and we'll have discussion and finding our, our our cadence and our minutes on this because we used to um, uh, full board used to immediately follow this committee meeting, and those were kind of horrible nights for people who were on QPSC and full board because we'd go two thirty, and I think the record is twelve thirty in the morning. So you know those those would be really really long discussions. But one thing which 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 we didn't really which was an unintended was that we would have very long and robust discussions from our med staff leaders in QPSC. And then being mindful that we only have three trustees in that QPSC. So by the time we went over to the full board meeting, they'd say, oh, we talked about that in QPSC. And then people would be, they, the other trustees wouldn't have context. So what we did was we actually elevated the, 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 the stage, if you will, for our chiefs of staff at the at the full uh, board meeting. Um, right now, I think uh, we're, we're, let's maintain that they have two positions and they can be reiterative if they need to. What is different for this uh, for this session of, for this administration of uh, trustees is that we, uh, uh, the QPSC used to be one of the smallest committees at three. Now it is the single largest committee of the board of trustees with six of us in the room. So we'll just have to kind of find our cadence, whether we need to say it again and again. Uh, and sometimes we do, but we'll, we'll talk with our chiefs of staff on what they feel. After that, we sort of go into a, a, a three critical reports, which are derived out of our quality department. Uh, our quality department is led by our chief quality officer, Dr. Tanvir Hussein, who's in the room. This will be a patient safety discussion, which will occur every month uh, under Darshan Graywall, who's our system director of patient safety. That will immediately follow with regulatory affairs report by Nilda Perez, who's also in the room, always smiling. And then Annette Johnson will, will follow up with our True North metrics. So this is sort of a cluster of, of quality items. We'll grow and shrink this depending on whether we have any other ad hoc meetings. Um, and we might have an ad hoc meeting. We've used this space to discuss in the past the IOP. We've used this to discuss uh, never happen events. We've used this space to discuss a number of different things. So know that we the the this, the the calendar is built to introduce an ad hoc uh, um, as needed uh, presentation should we need one. Your guys' voice will be very important in that, and I'll that will close every meeting with a planning calendar and issue tracking uh, kind of discussion. And this might only be a couple of minutes. You know, maybe Tracy Trustee Jensen says, "Hey, I want to hear about blank." And then we'll put that down on our count, our, our tracking calendar about when we could have that kind of uh, introduction, uh, that kind of presentation brought to us. So that's sort of a Reader's Digest version about orienting ourselves to QPSC. So I'm going to stop on this item and open it up to any questions from anybody or dialogue. Trustee Banerjee? Yeah. And um, thank you for that really great overview. Um, moving forward, a couple of things that I would request, our interim CEO. This is really the space where we can be talking about, like, how do we get the kind of rigor that we need so that we are survey ready at all times? Like, how is practice happening? We, uh, we approve a lot of policies, but then how is that showing up? In, a, in the kind of bedside service that we do. So um, 
I'd love a, uh, you know, we've had spotty uh, attendance in the past by ELT, but I would say that HR or others, uh, you know, if you're in finance, you got to also be in QPSC. It's that important. So, um, you know, as many of your ELT folks who will interface and think about staffing, think about other things, need to be here so that, um, you know, everybody's hearing um, as much as they can. And I know folks are meeting out, but just, you know, quality is as important as finance. Let's just put it there. Um, and who is there, what we pay attention to uh, grows. So uh, that's one. And the second thing is, is since we're doing a reset, uh, let's bring a culture that is not us against them. When we have issues that are happening, it's we, it's all of us. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes we've seen a bit of finger pointing over here, um, operations, clinical, other things. Uh, we just have to like be rowing in the same direction. We can have very productive, generative disagreements, discourse, but this should not be a place where folks feel afraid to speak up. The only way the board can um, advocate with the county, with other stakeholders, is if we know the real stuff that's happening. So please don't hold back. Oh, I'll trust deep energy. I, I think that th those are great comments. Um, and obviously we're aligned on, on that. We, we want to be open uh, and vulnerable about what we're good at and what, what, where we're not. So thank you for that. Trustee Jensen, any comments? No, um, nothing for me. I think you touched on everything and I, uh, I do want to welcome everyone to the committee and also say my only comment really I, I said no i don't have any comments but i i was also on the um, the quality committee when i was at alameda hospital before we came became part of ahs and and to the new committee members it is a, a very good way to learn about the clinical aspects of of um of the system and it's a good a really good way to to become aware of how all of our all of our operations inter, interact and intertwine. And, and I really appreciate your leadership, Taft, and I appreciate how uh, what, what I've learned and what I've learned about all of our staff, how our staff interrelate and all, how all of our procedures and how all of our operations relate to within the hospital and, and within the system. So it's, it's very helpful. It's Thank you, Trustee Jensen. Trustee Esteen, any comments? With this being my first quality meeting, I'd like to say um, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad that everyone is joining us, and I look forward to learning everything you guys share. Thank you. Trustee Sondorio. I'm a sponge. Yes, sir. Keep got talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and sometimes you got to shut me up, which, uh, which, which, which is perfectly appropriate. So what, what, my, my last comment as we sort of close out the orientation and get into the article briefly is that that one vision that we wanted to un, uh, that we tried to lay the frame for wor framework with last at the last board was intersecting that 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 continuum between quality and finance because they are interrelated uh you know no margin no mission has been said by the daughters of mercy right so uh uh i think that that is really really our opportunity here and boy 
when you look out into the trustees, there's so much crossover between finance committee members and quality committee members. And I think that's going to be kind of a great, a, a great thing. You know, one thing that I proposed in finance committee to the prior finance committee, trustee Esteen was, we always ask the question whenever we're making a financial decision, what is the quality impact here? And maybe, maybe our, our, our move here on the quality committee is because we're doing quality, what is the financial implication here? And maybe that, that bridges us together. So with that, I will, I will close out item B1, our introduction, and we'll just spend a little few brief moments on B2. So trustee Splendorio, you are a sponge and I, I'm here to provide some water for you with, with, in the form of articles. And again, I'm going to be very thoughtful about articles. And I, you know, I try to give people the reader's digest version because not everyone reads this stuff. This article comes from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Uh, I, I would argue there's probably not a single body in the United States which has been uh, more transformational for the for for what quality the quality mission is in the United States than this. It's it was formerly led by a guy named Don Berwick, who is I'm sort of a fanboy of this guy because he's probably changed the face of American uh, uh, medicine in terms of quality more than any other single individual. So the writings which come out of IHI are going to be writings which we're going to be reading a lot together um, uh, during, during our time together. And th this, this one was nicely titled, um, What Boards Must Do to Achieve Better Quality Health Care. I mean, bam, there it is. Um, it's a three-pager, not too long. I hope the, some of the audience members had a chance to to read it, but I'm going to try to do my work and summarize for you. The aspirational vision, this is from the article, of course, the aspirational vision for each trustee is to be able to answer in the affirmative the following three statements. One, I understand the domains of and key concepts underlying quality care. Two, I understand the process to assess, prioritize, and improve care. Three, our board culture demonstrates a commitment to delivering quality for all patients. That's basically what this, the, this document is aspiring us all to be able to answer in the affirmative. And I think that keeps it pretty simple. And boy, those are great aspirational statements. Towards this, we will work together to build core knowledge sets around quality, around systems improvement, around board culture, and then hopefully we can make sure we develop the processes to achieve our aspirational goal of all saying yes to these three questions. Uh, one lesson we've learned previously is how to dissect the elements of quality. And uh, I, I might get an eye rolling from everyone who's been in this room before, but for our new trustees, we're gonna, our last lesson of the day is we're gonna talk about a, an acronym which was developed by Don Berwick and his colleagues called STEEP. Uh, S-T-E-E-E-P. And, and, and his team actually spent a lot of time building this simple acronym because the, putting our brains around quality is kind of hard. I mean, uh, you know, say, do, does this system provide good quality? Oh, you know, I'm a good doctor. Of course I provide good quality. But, but what his team did was dissect out these domains of quality. And, and if you leave today with anything as we, as we enter into our quality discussions together, Think about STEEP. So STEEP is safety. Are we providing safe care? T is timeliness. Are we providing timely care? E is effectiveness. Are we providing effective care? 
E is efficient. Are we being efficient in the care that we provide? The third E is, are we being equitable? And this is a big lift for us, right? It's, 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 it's why we are here and, and building the systems around that are gonna be really important. We have some structures which we might need to re-engineer uh, uh, and put them in the right place. For example, the HETI committee, but, but, but equity is, is why we've all probably chosen to be at this place and in this room. And the last is patient-centeredness. Um, so uh, being thoughtful, are we being patient-centered? So I'll end by talking about Steep and then open up for comments. Safety, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equitable and patient-centered. And, and that when now you can, when someone asks you, does this system provide quality? Well, we can, we can actually empiricize it across many of these domains. And now I'll shut up and open it up for any trustees. No comments? Trustee Jensen, you got a smile for me. I'm laughing because uh, my husband worked for Don Berwick for about six years. He was you didn't tell me that. Well, he was the regional administrator for CMS here in the San Francisco region. And so um, I've heard, I, well, I wasn't, that was the time I wasn't on QPSC, but I have heard Steve many times in my home. And of course I was at CMS myself before Don Berwick, but um, I, I appreciate your focus there. And, and as you say, um, Mr. Berwick did, make a huge change um, in the early 2000s when he went to, um, the, when he founded IHA and when he went to CMS. So I, I appreciate this focus and I think it's changed healthcare, especially in public organizations tremendously. Yeah, of course. So thank, thank you for those comments and maybe I can get your husband to get me an autograph or something. <laughs> um, we do have our chief quality officer and our chief medical officer in the room. We're running towards time, but I want to always open space for our for our administrative uh, physicians to, to as our all our senior administrators physicians or not to speak in. So, um, uh, Dr. J, welcome to the room. Thank you, thank you, uh, Trustee Bouquet, and thank you, Trustees. Uh, I uh, I really appreciate bringing the focus to safety and quality and the structuring it with the map of. Uh, of uh, Donald uh, Berwick, and uh, I really appreciate the, the article. I really have no no comments. Uh, you know, it's uh, we are. I think we are all aligned. And uh, just like a, a comment, and I heard it from uh, Don Berwick uh, about alignment. And uh, he 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 said that uh, if you want to align everybody around the safety and quality of the care of the patient, it's the strongest weapon or tool in your hand to get this alignment. And uh, when we talk about quality and safety, uh, I, I think there is no stakeholder, external, internal, that will disagree about, about this, this aim and this goal. So thank you, Dr. Uh, Dr. Bouquet. Thank you, Dr. Jay. Dr. Hussein, we're gonna be seeing a lot of you this evening, um, but any, any comments on this last issue before we close out agenda item B too? Uh, no, other than to mention, I am just so delighted that we're beginning uh, 2021 with just this conversation. Um, and thanks for the thoughtful comments by the board, uh, by the trustees. Thank you. Um, trustees, any other comments on item B as we come to close that one? All right, thank you. So we now close item B. 
and boy, we are one minute ahead of time. We now go to action uh, item. This is the consent agenda item C. May I entertain a motion to approve the consent agenda? So moved. Before I'll we second. move on this, I have a question, and I wasn't at the last meeting, but it appears there were some policies that were pulled, and I don't see them on the in the policies for this um, meeting. So that that, that is correct, tr Trustee Jensen. I'll I'll make comment after we motion approve and have discussion, if that's okay. So, uh, sorry, I think I heard a motion. And you heard a second. Yes, sir. Okay, I apologize, Trustee Jensen. So we're opening up for dialogue before we go into vote. Indeed, there were uh, two policies which were pulled. Um, uh, those are, are reworking their way through the system and will probably be represented back to us in some format. Uh, one of them had to do with our information technology policies, which are reworking. The, the, other, the other had to do with our, our, our around charity policies and the like. And I actually sat with our chief financial officer yesterday and, and our, our chief of, uh, of revenue and uh, those are been, have been re-engineered and will be migrating back to us in uh, hopefully a timely manner. Thank you. It, it's my understanding that, that uh, Trustee Jensen, you would like to have a discussion around uh, the policy crisis standard of care. Is that correct, Trustee Jensen? Thank you, um, Mr. Chair. I wanted to pull that policy, the crisis standard of care, and just I had a brief question around the um, when that policy, when that policy is implemented and actually the crisis standard of care resource allocation and conditions of absolute scarcity so um thanks for for um uh, for highlighting that i wanted to pull that and then i can second the motion make an amendment to the motion to um approve the consent calendar uh, trustee jensen are, are there specific questions in the room we have dr sam singer uh dr singer uh, uh sits on the ethics committee uh, with uh, Dr. Dave English and and Dr. Singer, it's my understanding that you were one of the primary authors on this. Is that correct, sir? Uh, that's right. I worked. I've spent a lot of time working on this, although it's it's a product of our the work of our whole committee and yes, sir. and other input from all over the hospital. Okay. So, Trustee Jensen, are there are there specific questions that you would like? And we we can use this forum. We have ten minutes allocated here. I was anticipating maybe some discussion. And, and uh, if you feel appropriate for open discussion, leave us so otherwise we can, you can just, we can just choose to pull it and discuss but it. But we, have, we have Dr. Singer here. Trustee Bouquet, before we get into that, just as a matter of course, uh, I think you should go ahead and take the vote on the rest of the consent agenda. You know, this okay. item has been pulled, so now it becomes a separate action item. So I think just to make sure we don't lose things, if you could just go ahead and take the vote, on the rest of the consent agenda, then you can take up this discussion on this separate item. Council, thank you for guiding me and slapping me on the wrist appropriately. So, so with that, I will take a motion to approve uh, uh, the uh, items, uh, the consent agenda in totality. Item C1, uh, the minutes. Item C2, the policies and procedures. I3, the med staff privileges. With note of pulling uh, the policy for discussion, the AHS crisis standard of care. May I get a, a, a motion to that? <laughs> a mic, guide me. Did I say that? Well, actually, you, you, have, you have a motion, so at this point, you can go ahead and call for the roll call on Sorry. the motion as amended. Uh, 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 apologies. Uh, let's call for a roll call uh, uh, with that amendment um, to the uh, 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 initial motion. 
Excellent. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. All right, well, I don't want to take Mike's job, but I think you needed a second to the amendment. I didn't hear one, um, which I'll do. I'll make a second to that amendment. So I think you have a complete motion. And uh, I will vote yes, except for the minutes, which I'd like to abstain to since I wasn't there. Got it. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Do you have Sorry. that on record, uh, uh, Madam? Rana? I do. Thank you. Okay. So, uh, so with that, let's uh, let's open it up, Trustee Jensen. Thank you, Mike, for guiding me. I'm sorry for being sloppy. Let's uh, let's have a discussion around this policy, uh, Trustee Jensen. Any questions? Uh, I'll let you drive uh, for Dr. Singer. Thank you, um, Mr. Chair. So, the policy that I that I'm pulling is called Crisis Standard of Care Resource Allocation in Conditions of Absolute Scarcity, um, subtitled Principles and Guidelines COVID-19 Outbreak Alameda Health System and I, first of all, I appreciate this this um, policy, and I want to say for mainly for the benefit of the new committee members that uh, often and almost almost always the policies that are presented as part of the QPSC committee, in my experience, are are um, policies that are updates. Uh, probably what, um, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, maybe 80% of the time. They're updated policies uh, to existing policies or policies that are part of a, a um, change in a law or change in something um, in a medical procedure or something like that. So it's something that's that's um, adopted because it's it's necessary and it's passed because of credentialing or something like that. But this policy, it appears to me, is um, well. That's my question. So how did this policy come about? Other than, of course, because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. And was it is it something uh, that was established by other healthcare districts? Did we systems? Did we? Um, is it coming? Wh where is it coming from? That's my first question. Then I, um, my main other question is how is it going to? I see in section one the triage team composition activation process. And my other main question is when is this this um, crisis standard of care um, uh, going to be implemented? Um, thank you, Trustee, for the uh, question. I'm happy to answer that. I, um, this, before this, before last year, before the pandemic, um, AHS did not have any policy like this. And then um, after we had seen what, um, you know, some really cool scenes coming out of, of First Italy and then New York City, um, we became, you know, uh, became more worried about the ability that we would have to reckon care. Um, the easiest way to think of this is we're rationing a, a single unit, something like um, a ventilator or an ICU bed. Although, truthfully, this policy could be used to ration normal saline if you need to. Uh, so the ethics committee was tasked with developing this policy, and we worked on it um, in the spring, but at the same time that there was a national movement to construct these policies. So uh, the policy that we wrote was largely founded on a model policy produced out of the University of Pittsburgh, and similar organizations across the country have been have come up with things more or less like this. Um, there are important differences. Um, this particular policy that you're looking at, uh, sorry, there was a version, early version of this policy was approved by the um, 
uh, AHS board in, I believe it was May, um, but we have made significant revisions um, in the months since then, and those reflect some changes uh, in the sort of national discussion about around the ethics of how to ration care, and also our sort of um, less formal uh, sort of polling of our of our neighbors. Um, in particular, the UC system produced a very good document that we uh, refer to a lot and deferred to, and to help us make our decisions. We've been in close contact with Contra Costa County's Ethics Committee um, that has produced a document that's quite similar from ours. And in some places, we shared the same language. Um, so, so I think that's where it comes from. The question of when it becomes activated is a really good one. Um, and I think that was one of the first questions our uh, executive leaders asked when we, as we started to talk to them about this. It is important to us that AHS not activate uh, such a, you know, really dramatic um, triaging uh, until resources are stretched throughout the region. So, unfortunately, there's no single, you know, unifying body that's going to say Bay Area ventilators are at the limit. But there is now greater cooperation from area health officers. So, we are hoping that once a group of, you know, that, that kind of group um, declares that this that we are in um, crisis mode in this uh, you know there's there's no opportunity to transfer a patient to another hospital for example that we can't within AHS move patients from hospital to hospital that then it would become activated. Taft, uh, if I may just ask uh, uh, add course. a couple of uh, points. Uh, first, I want to really thank, thank Dr. Singer, Dr. English, and the committee uh, who have worked on this. This is really uh, a lot of work and discussion and tough discussion with the legal team, the ethical team, the clinicians. Uh, uh, just uh, to, to, to just add a little bit is that it is mandated right now in the state of California. Am I correct, Dr. Singer, to have such a policy? So yep, it, is, right. it was mandated. That's and, right. That, uh, that just came this month. And during the spring, I was, uh, you know, involved uh, a little bit with your team. Uh, I don't know if I interacted with you directly with your team when the first policy came about. But I was also connected with uh, my colleagues in New York City, and they really emphasized how important this policy. And the importance of the policy comes from... Uh, 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 from like uh, getting the decision uh, out of the clinician who are really caring for the patients in such a very difficult moment. Uh, and uh, and uh, people struggled with this uh, in New York City when they had to do rationing, when they were running out of ventilators at the peak uh, in, 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 in the spring. And, uh, and they really urged, urged, uh, uh, urged me to really work on such on such a policy, and now it became mandated. As uh, to the decision making, I would like to ask if if we have a few more minutes, Doctor uh, Bouquet, how sure. how the activation of a command center and how decisions are made. Maybe Doctor Hussein can can shed lights about this. How we interact regionally as a command center and how we uh, distribute resources. Tanvir, can you just uh, uh, like shed some light about about this, or or give uh, give uh, your your thoughts about this? Absolutely, um, absolutely. So, um, also as articulated in the policy here, I'm just trying to find the page. Um, it, it's it's also page, page six of the policy. Yeah. 
Oh, very good. Yes. And so 50, page 51 of the packet, page six of the policy, uh, looks like the team did a very nice job of articulating that um, the crisis standard of care would be implemented either at the um, public health officers or our county's current public health officer is Dr. Nick Moss or through the, um, uh, uh, through the incident command center. So here at Alameda Health System, we follow the hospital incident command center structure, the HIC structure. Um, and in that structure at the top of the um, incident command center is, uh, is the incident commander. Um, that incident commander is delegated by the chief executive officer to help uh, run the disaster currently in progress. Um, of course, the incident commander um, doesn't make uh, decisions in isolation, but brings a team uh, together, um, including a chief for operations, um, the chief for logistics, chief for finance, and et cetera. So, um, um, so we, again, we use a Hicks model um, where the CEO appoints that incident commander, and then that incident commander has multiple chiefs uh, underneath him or her to um, make these difficult decisions. Um, within our own structure here at AHS, but has, which has been very successful during the pandemic, is that the, uh, for the Incident Command Center to stay connected with the organization, um, there are multiple avenues to do that, including frequent sort of huddles and debriefs to make sure we are staying on top of uh, what are the sort of clinical and operational challenges. So we use the HICS um, com uh, Command Center structure in, in, um, during a disaster. So, uh, Dr. Jamalini, is that what you were asking me to comment on? Uh, that's exactly it. Just uh, that's it. Thank you, Tanvir. Trustee Banerjee. Yeah. So um, thank you for this, you know, very detailed um, policy. And we hope we don't have to use that. But knowing that we live in a complex world where, you know, compounding crises happen, it could be COVID plus a natural disaster or one of these man-made issues. How... Um, you know, medical racism exists. Um, how would those implicit bias happens in the in um, in those splits in those decision making? And my work friends, Dr. Alita Maybank, Dr. Kamara Jones, and Dr. Joya Kriya Perry, um, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post which said, "Say her name about Dr. Susan Moore from Indiana." who was a COVID patient, and then, you know, she advocated, but she posted that I'm getting differential treatment, even though I'm a physician, and then later died of, of, of neglect. So how might we, we hope that every single member of your team will follow this to the letter of its intent? And, and sometimes racialized outcomes happen irrespective of the intent. We don't you know, these can happen. So how is this also, you know, to internalize it and to have the e-equity of steep very much into in the forefront when you're rationing to make sure that there, there isn't an uneven distribution of burdens on certain segments of, the, of our patient population? How, how might we make sure that that doesn't happen? Dr. Singer, do you want to okay, comment? So I think because that this that was discussed. Been, that was really one of the. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that, that avoiding the introduction of bias is really one of the chief things in the design of this policy. And the way that it's really done is by having a triage team, as Dr. Jamaldine said, separate from the bedside doctors. And the triage team is, um, is 
uh, sort of blinded from um, discriminatory information uh, like, uh, uh, you know, socioeconomic status and race, even gender and even age, it turns out, in, in this policy, this version of the policy. So um, the, the triage team makes, the, makes decisions based on the patient's sort of current health status. Uh, that's calculated by the SOFA score which is listed in the document and, and based on um, very severe comorbidities that may affect somebody's ability to survive a critical illness. But they don't get any other information about the patient, and so they, it's really impossible for them to, in, you know, racial bias or, you know, to consider things like disability um, when making those kinds of decisions. Um, and that's the by design and, and really uh, trying to avoid the, even the, um, introduction of implicit bias at the bedside from a, from a clinician. Um, typically, uh, guys, I'm looking at the policy there, uh, and this might be to Dr. J and Dr. Hussein. I think Dr. Tornabeni's in the room. I know she's on clinical service. There's usually an approvals log history of how it's been approved. I don't see one this for this document. Ha ha has this gone through the MECs and 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 before it came to to us? Hi, Felicia. Hi. I, know on, I know you're on service. Um, I, I saw on the summary comments that this was approved by the clinical practice committee on Tuesday, January 12th. But but unfortunately, in the document, there's not that approvals history. So um, can you guide us through? Has this been seen by the, the stakeholders with their stamp it, of approval? It has. It has gone through. Um, it was uh, first approved by the ethics committee. Then we had a robust and actually special meeting of CPC just to discuss this meeting, this policy, and then it went to the medical executive committees. Okay, so the MEC, and we just don't have the approvals history here. Got it. Um, Trustee Jensen, can you enumerate what, what you might need to be able to advance this policy towards approval? Oh, I'm, I, I have what I need. I appreciate um, the input and the discussion. I, and I, I absolutely appreciate the questions from uh, Trustee Banerjee. And um, the clarifications from um, from both Dr. Hussein and Dr. Jamaluddin. So I'm fine. I'll move approval of the policy unless other trustees have questions. I have okay. a question. Trustee Esteen. Um, I don't see how patient anonymity is granted. Um, how do you know that we won't know the patient's name has some kind of giveaway? Uh, are we masking for gender or gender nonconformity? Yeah. I don't see that in the policy. So we're, we're masking for all of those things. So the only information, I'm going to try to find it. The only information that's passed to the triage team who makes the decision is mm -hmm. the priority score in the initial prioritization. There's a reassessment step that happens later after about three days to see how a patient's responding. Um, but even then, the um, uh, patient is really sort of skeleton clinical information about improvement or, or um, if somebody's had a precipitous decline. Um, the information is collected by the ICU team or the ER if, you know, patients may be there and being stabilized, you, you know, stabilized. Um, and that is passed to this triage team in a blinded way so that they are, don't, don't see though, any of that information. They really just get a priority score. And then the triage team looks at the, what resources are available and decides who in that, uh, it, who 
uh, based on priority scores, which patients qualify for uh, the scarce resource. But the and score then when there is are still... tiebreakers, the... Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, the score is still given by the bedside treatment team. Is that correct? The, the score is calculated by the bedside treatment team. That's right. Based on, right. It's based I, on objective data. Objective data that is being utilized by people with subjective biases. I suppose so. I think that the SOFA score, you know, is is really a sort of a mathematical calculation. And in fact, EPIC does it for us at this at this time. Um, there's not a lot of subjectivity in there. The the consideration of the um, major comorbidities and severely life limiting comorbidities could introduce some um, uh, some biases. And I think we recognize that this version of the policy has tried to sort of clamp down on those a little bit by really trying to focus on those morbidities for which we have very good um, evidence base that they would limit a patient's ability to survive for the next 12 months. Not looking at just say, you know, diabetes or obesity, we're looking at advanced metastatic cancer. We're looking at stage four heart disease, things that we have a lot of data for about survivability. Um, but the triage team wouldn't even get that piece of information. They get a raw, they get a score alone. Right. I think I think my uh, the the frightening thing about care rationing is that even if we try to make it really really clear, there's still social determinants of health that lead to all those other factors, which then lead people to be hospitalized. In addition to that, essential workers, that will, people of color, are already getting COVID at much higher rates and dying from COVID at much higher rates. No, so. No, so that is that I think is a great point, and I, and this is something that one of the most important issues that our committee has debated, um, because in considering morbidities, I think it's important, and we always do recognize that those comorbidities are not equally distributed across our community, um, and that they do uh, they do introduce that amount of bias, and that is correct. Um, the there is a state guideline, a state California uh, Department of Public Health guideline that um, considers those comorbidities a little bit less than we do. They use them sort of as a, as a tiebreaker where we use it as a, um, a in the uh, sort of in initial scoring system. We ran sort of um, sample cases through both versions to try to just, you know, look for, you know, what kind of results are going to turn out with this. And one of the problems that we have with the, the state guidelines is that, um, we worry that they would save fewer lives. Is that um, um, is uh, is that by not considering these major comorbidities that make it hard to survive a critical illness? Is that we run the risk of rationing and allotting um, allocating a scarce resource to somebody who is unlikely to benefit from it? So in our policy, we've made the hard decision to try to, you know, in this difficult balance, um, to prioritize saving lives, um, to try to remove as much bias as we can. But in the end, the chief goal of this, of a policy like this, is to save the most number of lives. Um, we are not including things like, like age and disability. So, and when in fact, we've tried to blind to that and to try to um, not introduce any introduction, you know, not introduce any consideration of of those things into the policy. 
Um, but I think you're absolutely right that by considering comorbidities, uh, we have to acknowledge that those comorbidities are not equally distributed in our society. Thank you. Oh, well, I keep interrupting you. Dan. No, no, no. You're 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 on, Trustee Banerjee. I I don't want to hold up the approval, but I wonder if at some point in time we could have a a little bit more of a uh, discussion and presentation about you know how, just to know. I mean, anytime rationing happens, we just have to make sure. As a, a, a uh, so, would love to hear more details about you know. Uh, how this came about and uh, for our benefit too. Got it. Trustee Spondario, do, uh, do you have any comments? Back to D Trustee Esteen and then I'm going to hear uh, Trustee Jensen reiterate her motion. Yeah, I, uh, this is a very worrying proposition and I know also might be very important to have in place. Um, it also makes me wonder about the treatment team and hiring practices and how diversity, equity, inclusion is taken into account uh, amongst uh, practitioners and how race plays out in people who are advanced practitioners. This is, uh, nobody said it would be easy, right? Yeah, nobody said it would be easy. Thank but you for I those comments. Maybe. And everyone is trying their best, so we totally get that. Everyone is doing yep. the best that they can. Trustee and Jensen. But maybe Dr. Singer can, that might be a point that Dr. Singer um, could respond to, or maybe Dr. Tornabene, uh, because I think um, Trustee Esteen is getting to something that this policy seems to be trying to work towards and the ethics committee was working towards, which is to try and remove those try and establish some arm's length, um, uh, uh, arm's length, um, establish an arm's length decision-making with those so that staff doesn't have to make those decisions. Is that correct? Well, that's right. That is the, that is essential line of the policy, um, is that, is that the bedside doctors don't make the decisions, um, which we think is helpful for those clinicians, uh, you know, it's heartbreaking to have to make those decisions about patients you've been taking care of uh, and feel connected to. And, and these are, you know, terrible life and death decisions that are, may have to be made. Um, and with, along with that is to protect the patients from the introduction of bias, implicit or not. Um, but, I, but I think this understanding that we, that considering what comorbidities a patient has, even if they are these severe life-limiting comorbidities, does introduce some bias in, into the policy. We understand that. Um, every policy I have seen does this to some degree. There's some um, variation about what point in the scoring process those are considered. Um, we feel like the, uh, that the way we've written it has the um, balances, the the equity with the goal of saving the most number of lives. And when there are ties, I gotta say, we go to a random lottery. Um, there's no additional consideration for age. We don't give extra consideration to healthcare workers, for example. Um, it's, it becomes a, a random lottery because we feel like in the end, that's the most fair way to approach this. 
Thank you, Dr. Singer. Uh, you know, 17-page document. It's obvious that a ton of deliberation and thought was put into it. Dr. Tornabeni, can you just to guide this, uh, uh, the, the trustees, what would be the implications of non-approval of this, uh, of this uh, policy and procedure? So um, we have a current policy that we would really like that was approved last year in 2020 by the board that we really would like to update. And so even, you know, we, we spent so much time, you know, and we meeting so many people at all levels of developing this policy and really um, debating kind of line by line about, gosh, in, in this imperfect process, what is the most perfect that we could get it? Um, and so I, I, I so appreciate all the work that's been done. So I think one of the implications of not approving would be our live policy would be a document that we really want to move away from. In addition, um, CDPH has, has noted on the AFL that was published at the end of December, um, CDPH does require us to have this policy and post it publicly. The document that has been posted publicly and it is noted to be in draft form is this one uh, because okay. that is the preferred policy of as this policy has worked through the channels. Okay. Uh, 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 council, we have council who wants to speak, sir. Yeah, so, so if I could just uh, jump in a second. So just a couple of, uh, I think, background things in terms of understanding. Um, you know, as a result of what was the situation developing, you know, down in Southern California, that is what prompted CDPH to issue uh, the, the AFL requiring all facilities to actually post their crisis care intervention policy on their, you know, publicly and make it available to the public because it was a situation down there where here those decisions were being made and people were not aware of what those policies were. So that was sort of one of the driving things to both, you know, display this publicly, but also then conduct the further review of what we previously had in light of new developments that occurred over the course of time that, you know, Dr. Singer laid out, you know, to get to this new policy. So, you know, I, I think, you know, from my, you know, listening to this conversation, you know, there's it's not necessarily a question of whether or not, uh, you know, or disagreement, you know, with what's, you know, set forth in the policy now. But I do think it, you know, sort of goes to, you know, the board's alignment with the same principles that sort of underlie it there. Um, you know, the question of, you know, what is the primary purpose of this policy? You know, so for example, you know, is saving lives over you know, overarching over other considerations. And I'm not saying that it is or is not, but I'm saying that in terms of looking at it and reviewing it, that's, you know, what you, see, you know, sort of need to, uh, to work through. And I think that that's what the discussion has been around. So the board ultimately, the full board ultimately, you know, approves these policies. They come to the full board from a recommendation from QPSC. So if you're not, you know, prepared to make a recommendation tonight, that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. It still needs to be approved by the board at the meeting. Yes, sir. Got it. In two weeks. So that's another option which is available, you know, to you. But I, you know, like Dr. Tornabeni, you know, I would be reluctant, you know, to you know, feel that there's a need to go back and redo a lot of good work that's already been done uh, if, in fact, the question is just the opportunity to discuss more yeah. before everyone gets comfortable with it. Thank you, sir. I'm going to hear from Trustee Banerjee and then I'd love to uh, hear a motion. Yeah, since, uh, since I was the one who instigated this. I don't think I want to, uh, I would approve this maybe perhaps, and not even a, a presentation, but maybe we could track it for how it's like from the equity scale, 
how this is being implemented if it, if it happens. So there's a monitoring of um, on, on that scale. Okay. And make a quick comment, uh, Taft. Just uh, you know, I could I could hear uh, Trustee Esteem, uh, especially with the silence after her comment. It's a very uh, you know cry for equity, and uh, you 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 are a nurse. You have taken care. I just want to tell you that you'll be proud of the people who care for our patients. Uh, I, I, I have cared uh, for people who are in our system really are, you know, we're proud. And uh, it is a work in progress. We are not going to be perfect today, but we are always going to address this issue. I would like, uh, I know Felicia wants to make a quick comment. I would like to ask Tanvir if he can, if he can shed some light about how can we assess equity in our care caregiving in general and how this policy could be simulated if 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 we want to simulate it or or stress test it. Dr. J, I appreciate that. I'm gonna unfortunately take chair's license and and and, and keep your question, but move it to a different section when we talk about the true north metric dashboard of on equity. And I'm gonna hear from Dr. Tornabene and then hopefully entertain a motion because we're 33 minutes into this consent agenda item. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Um, uh, I thank you for all the comments on this. Um, this is actually I so appreciate this this discussion that we're having at the board. I did want to make one bit of reassurance. Um, at least we in CPC as part of the discussion was exactly how will we monitor for equity if this policy does end up going into place. And so what we talked about is um, because some of these decisions, should it need to be put into place, will have to go quickly. But we would have a tracking mechanism of all of the patients. We would track the features of the patients in order to see if there's any imbalance so that we can rapidly change gears should we need to. That was indeed part of the discussion and, and certainly part of the commitment of all the, um, the leaders who have been involved with this to do so, like real-time analysis, um, uh, should this go into, um, in, should we need to employ it? Thank you, Dr. Tornabene. Uh, Dr. Hussein, we'll track that, Dr. Jay's question for later on in, in, our, in our meeting. Uh, may I entertain an emo a motion on this policy, the AHS uh, crisis standard of care policy? Can I ask one final Wait. question? Oh, sorry. Oh, sure. Have we ever approached the criteria that would have enacted this policy? No, uh, tr Dr. Tornabeni said no. No, and uh, Trustee Esteen, um, and not, that's not to say that I haven't discussed it. I've gotten over the last few weeks some phone calls of like, hey, you know, we're worried, um, uh, but we have never gotten close uh, because we've never reached uh, the capacity of our system, let alone regionally. Thank you. Um, Trustee Jensen. Thank you. And, and I actually, um, that's a, that was a really good question. And I, obviously there are places in the country that have gotten to that point and where this system has probably been utilized. And I, I did want to um, follow up on one thing that Dr. Tornabene mentioned. Um, in reporting, with regard to reporting, since this is a CDPH and um, potentially, a, obviously a county um, may mandate this, would we report those, would we be reporting back when we use it and the numbers back to CDPH and or the county? 
I didn't note anything in here that says any reporting out. Um, we would be tracking it internally. Should there be any need for a CDPH reporting, I would defer to, to uh, our Director of Regulatory Affairs, but I'm not aware of any current need to do so. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll move approval of the Crisis Standard of Care Resource Allocation and Conditions of Scarcity um, with thanks to the committees and all of the hard work of, of the committees. Can I have a second? I'll Trust second. People. Trustee Banerjee, let's roll call this, uh, Madam Clerk. Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Perfect. Trustee Bouquet. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Yes. Motion passes. Boy, we got through that consent agenda item in 38 minutes. <laughs> um, Let's do it. Let's close out item C and let's go to our med staff. Dr. Singer, thank you very much for coming. We really, really appreciate that. And I know it was last second. So really appreciate, appreciate it. So my pleasure. Got, thank you for your attention. Of course. We come into item D, the med staff reports. 20 minutes have been allocated. There are three physician leaders here who are going to be in the room. Dr. Irina Williams, who will be introducing herself as the chief of the medical staff for Alameda Health System. Dr. Idris Afzali, who is the, uh, uh, I believe, leads the San Leandro Hospital Leadership Committee. Yes, he's the chair. And then Kathy Pyun, who is the chief of staff at uh, Alameda Hospital. Um, so I always say dealer's choice. You each have roughly about seven minutes, if, you, if that's okay, uh, and lead it in and know that I'm going to be asking you a question right after that. Dr. Williams, do you mind going first? Not at all. Um, Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to start by expressing gratitude for the opportunity to be present and the quality uh, uh, for the Board of Trustees. And I think uh, the medical staff is looking forward to working with uh, this Board of Trustees. And there is a lot of, I guess, excitement looking in the future. Um, so uh, in terms of my report, uh, the Medical Executive Committee um, is recommending some credentialing and privileges action that we will further discuss in the closed session um, that are on the report. Um, I wanted to highlight that we're launching our teleneurology and it's a very exciting um, initiative um, that will help our hospitals uh, who don't have a neurology on site. Um, so that was one of the highlights from the credentialing and privileges update standpoint. Thank you. Any other highlight, highlights you would like to discuss with us before I ask you a question? <laughs> Not as of right now. Uh, and, uh, uh, trustees, know that I'm working with our, our chiefs, uh, our, our med staff leaders to build a one-page executive summary, which will have a standard follow-through with pros and dialogue about the issues which concern them. That will, be, that will go live for next month. So you'll have a one-pager um, from each of them to read, which will hopefully make it easy, and then we can have discussion around that. So, uh, Dr. Williams, uh, welcome. Know that for three years I've been sort of asking the question for all presenters. So, for all presenters who come, I'm going to ask the same question. Can you rank list for us your top three concerns from your perspective? Well, um, I, th I think number one um, concern is, um, I guess it goes back a little bit in the history. Um, I think the medical staff still has sort of conflicting feelings um, 
there were issues of trust in the past that I think are carrying over. And um, there is a degree of uncertainty um, that some medical staff st still experiences. So I think it's important to take uh, into consideration um, when, as our relationship here sort of evolves. Um, so I think that concern still remains there, but um, we have a new group of leaders and a new board of trustees. So I think um, there is also excitement about uh, the change as well. Excellent. So this is probably my number one concern. Um, another concern that came up um, recently, but I think it's worth mentioning, is that some um, providers expressed their concern about the um, sort of talent bleeding and the retention of the providers um, on the staff. And I think this is a very important issue that we need to look closely into. Uh, we're going to be having this discussion with m the other medical staff officers in terms of how can we uh, make this better? What were the, what are the reasons of um, staff turnover and how can we improve it and retain our talent and retain our great providers? So I think I have sort of two main <laughs> points oh, not three, um, okay. to start with. Okay, great. So what I heard from you, your number one rank was trust and uncertainty within the medical staff around all these elements which are occurring. And number two, this quote, talent bleeding and, and questions of retention. Yeah. Um, thank you for your report. Trustees, do you have any questions for Dr. Williams? Dr. Williams, appreciate your report. I look forward to working together and rounding out and finding you guys enough enough time to really talk about all these elements because they're, they're very, it's really deep stuff and important for us to get better. So appreciate it. Uh, uh, Dr. Afzali from uh, the San Leandro Hospital Leadership uh, Committee. He's the chair. At Hi, Aders. How are you? Hello. Good evening. Hi, how are you, sir? Thank you for having me. Um, it's great to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to San Leandro uh, Leadership Committee this year. Our first meeting is not until next week, however, um, so I don't have anything to report until uh, our meeting next month, um, but uh, I will have a report for you and we'll have hopefully follow a more formalized uh, structure and reporting process uh, for us. Um, cool. So yeah. I, and, and remember, you can use this forum for your perspectives if, you, if there's anything. And then I'm about to ask you the same question I just asked Dr. Williams. Do you have a rank list of your top concerns from your perspective on the San Leandro Hospital? leadership committee sure uh you know the the first one is is not so much a concern but more of a of a goal uh and that's to highlight uh the strengths of san leandro hospital and have it stand out amongst the system uh for its own uh in its own right um i think uh you know alameda has its its uh neurology and stroke center certification uh highlands the trauma center uh San Leandro's kind of the odd man out that, you know, I'm hoping to kind of highlight what, what we're good at. I think there, there's multiple options we can focus on to, to bring, bring, bring to surface. Um, that's, I would say that that'll hopefully be my number one priority. Uh, okay. Back to San Leandro. Um, the sort of concerns that I have is uh, specialty coverage. Uh, Dr. Williams mentioned uh, teleneurology launching this week, uh, which, is amazing and very much looking forward to that uh, being implemented. Um, you know, GI, as you're aware, 
and I think cardiology is lurking in the background as a, as a concern um, that I'm hoping to sort of mitigate before it becomes an issue. Um, technology, uh, the monitors in the ED are very dated from the 80s. Uh, that, that's come up uh, time and again. Um, they don't support certain capabilities such as entitled CO2 monitoring and such that's critical for patient care. Um, okay. And that'll round out my top three issues. Yes, sir. So Dr. Afzali, to, to, uh, I, I like to repeat uh, kind of this, the teach back. What I heard your rank list concerns were number one, I'm gonna use the term visibility of San Leandro Hospital within the system, um, right. finding space. Number two, specialty coverage. You enumerated three specialties of interest, GI, cardiology, and neurology as sort of on your watch list. Third, uh, concerns about equipment, specifically aging of specific equipment. Is, is, that, is that an uh, appropriate reiteration back to you? Very much so, thank you. Trustees, do you have any questions for Dr. Afzali on, on anything related to San Leandro Hospital or his concerns? Quiet, quiet audience today. Okay, cool. Yeah, I will Dr. ask Zali. one question. Uh, uh, doc, who, who said that? That was me, Jennifer. Oh, I, I trust you. <laughs> so in highlighting the strengths of San Leandro Hospital, do you want to just state what they are? Well, uh, I think we have uh, a great inpatient team. It's probably one of the best hospitalist relationships with the ED that, that I've seen. I think we have a, a pretty good facilities for, in the operating room that can, that can serve. I think this may have come up in other discussions, but uh, uh, we hope to sort of increase the number of elective surgeries, especially um, orthopedic or uh, vascular surgeries that currently are being done there. Uh, and sort of increase those numbers and have it be sort of the center of attention uh, amongst AHS. I think it can serve that role. Uh, it, there needs to be some sort of basic groundwork uh, with technology, as I had mentioned before, that I think needs to be addressed before that becomes reality. Uh, I think those are sort of, broadly speaking, those are areas we can start at. Okay. Well, we can help with visibility in, in this forum and other forums so for that issue. So. Uh, you know, great work is occurring at San Leandro, and part of part of our job as a board is 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 to celebrate the things that we do. Uh, it's easy for us to find the things that are wrong, but let's celebrate the things that we do as well. So, Dr. Afzali, thank you very much for your report. Uh, next, we'll go to Dr. Pyun from Alameda Hospital, the chief of the medical staff. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, just to reiterate, we we went through those policies and procedures, approved them all without incident. We went through credentials and, and uh, privileges, and there really wasn't anything uh, running red flags this time at all on that. Uh, we approved a surgical subspecialty residency rotation policy as well. There seems to be a lot more, it seems like there's going to be a lot more surgeries from Highland coming over, uh, possibly elective surgeries. So we're excited about that. Um, so, you know, uh, as far as I, I know you're going to ask me about concerns, <laughs> so I might just go right into it. Uh, I have the same one. I think that uh, Dr. Asali has talked about, you know, highlights for San Leandro. I think they have a very good vascular program at San Leandro. We've always wanted the vascular surgeons to come over to us, but they seem to hang out in San Leandro. I think they have better equipment there. So I tell them they have the best vascular surgeons there, uh, I think. And uh, just to say that, um, but we, 
really also need some specialty coverage. I, I think that there's been some good inroads that have come up. Teleneurology, I think, is going to help. That's still just started as of yesterday. So we just don't know what how that's uh, – so far, it's so good. I've heard some good things about it. Um, telecardiology on the weekends. During the week, we have a cardiologist, but on the weekend, we have a telecardiology service, which we're really ha- much happier because before, really didn't have any much in the way of formal consults on the weekends, and that's that's changing. I'm very grateful to our CMO, CMOs, uh, to you know putting those through through. Uh, but there's you know there's always there's nothing's more stressful for a primary care, for a hospitalist or any physician you know being stuck with a patient they don't have enough specialty coverage for and and struggling to tra- sometimes just acutely transfer these patients to another hospital often Highland and Highland is heavily impacted they're so busy I know they're so stressed out and busy and COVID has affected them so sometimes there's a wall that gets put up that we can't get our patients over there and that's really tough I, that I know that you know there's just it's just hard. It's very hard sometimes, and I, you know. But there's nothing worse, really, for me and for any of my colleagues, my hospitals colleagues, to be stuck with patients that we cannot um, t- help. We, we don't have specialty coverage, the appropriate p- uh, care for them. That's a big, big concern of mine. Another one is a, uh, number three is that you know, Hallelujah Hospital for many hundred, hundred years has been a private hospital, private community hospital, and we're still kind of, we're still, of course we're a county hospital now, we're part of this county system, we're very happy to be part of the county, I don't want to make it sound like we're not, uh, but you know, we also are serving the uh, Alameda, uh, island of Alameda, they're paying a, a, a significant parcel tax to be served, and I, you know, we want to make sure that the citizens of Alameda can also access our hospital uh, and that they can um, use their insurance and whatnot uh, and be able to use the hospital. So that's that's important. A lot of the uh, physicians are, some of the docs on our staff are, are concerned about that. They can't, a lot of the private docs that are still there uh, that are, have an office um, are concerned about that. They can't send their patients to Alameda for testing and stuff like that because of insurance issues. So that's an, another concern. But those are those are what I have. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate of course, Dr. Pion and I uh, again. I'm trying to do the teach back method here. So what I heard from you was number one concern was specialty coverage. Number two, uh, what what I'll co- sort of categorize as interfacility transfers. Yeah. And number three was access for insured patients at Alameda Hospital. Does that does that summarize it accurately? Yes. Thank you okay. so much. Trustees, do you have any questions for Dr. Pyun? Wow, quiet crowd. Okay. With with that, we will um, close out item D. And now we'll move into kind of quick succession of of reports coming out of our quality team. So I've allocated 10 minutes to each, but if you guys can chop it down to around seven or so, that sort of gets us a little bit sort of back on track. Um, uh, first, we'll be hearing from the patient about patient safety. Um, this is led by uh, Dr. Hussein is our chief quality officer. So all these reports uh, uh, migrate up through him. But he has he has a great uh, a great team, which is which will be feeding him the data. First, we'll be hearing about uh, Dar- from Darshan Graywall, who's our system director of patient safety. Then we'll hear from regulatory affairs in item F from Nilda Perez. And then we'll hear about this thing called the True North Metric Dashboard, which we're all going to be learning about uh, from Annette Johnson. So, um, Tanvir, I'll let you lead us in and sort of take up this, uh, you know, this next uh, 20 minutes or so amongst all three. If you, I'll let, I'll give you uh, uh, 
the drivers, uh, the, the, the steering wheel on this one? Very good. Thank you very much, uh, um, Trustee Bouquet. So um, the next series of reports are going to be a part of um, the first one of the keywords or concepts I want to introduce to QPSC here is the concept of QAPI which stands for Quality Assurance and Performance Improvement. This is one of the essential governing functions of QPSC. Um, and there's two components, quality assurance, which is that the organization is maintaining acceptable standards for patient care um, and, and, and employee care, as well as performance improvement that we are continuously learning and improving. That's a, that's a tall order uh, for a large organization. What I wanna reassure you about though is that every time we have had an accreditation agency come, uh, whether it is CMS or Joint Commission, they believe we have a very good structure to do that. Um, part of that structure is one, the medical staff report. Um, two, it is a series of reports which uh, Darshan, Nilda, and Annette will present to you. And third is uh, the SBU reports, which previously were in QPSC and now are in finance, uh, giving you sort of a governing perspective, um, uh, essential elements that you should keep your eyes on. Um, but the purpose ultimately is not just to fulfill this accreditation uh, need or the conditions of participation need around quality assurance and performance improvement, but it is, of course, to keep our eye on ultimately what we're here to do, which is um, my fundamental belief that Almeida Health System is not just a place where people must come, but they choose to come. And that is exactly what inspires our staff to continue to serve this mission. Um, the purpose of the report is also to transform culture. Um, so that we have the, the create a sense of trust um, so that people feel they have the voice to express their concern. You're going to hear that in the patient safety report, that we have the vulnerability and humility to acknowledge when we're not perfect or we need to make progress. You'll hear that again in the patient safety report as well as the True North metric report, but that we have the courage to improve. And you're going to see this again in all three of these reports. Um, but none of this can be done without discipline. So the purpose of having these three structured reports is to give voice to those areas that we need to improve, the vulnerability and humility of the governing body to come to face-to-face -face grappling with them, uh, but then giving uh, the courage and confidence and discipline to execute. So with that, I'll hand it over to Darshan, um, our Director of Patient Safety, who will um, give you a high-level presentation about how we look at all of the reports um, that we get around potential safety issues. Then Nilda Perez, our Director of Regulatory Affairs, will talk about how we keep our eye on making sure the basic standards are met. Um, and then finally, Annette will talk about um, how we pick uh, our, uh, this body has selected performance indicators um, uh, uh, and the progress we've made on, uh, on those things. So I'll hand it over to Darshan. Great, thank you, Dr. Hussain. Um, I'm honored to be presenting today uh, to the board. And um, it's been quite a journey over the last two years, but I'm really, uh, I feel uh, very honored to bring uh, the patient safety report to this committee. I'm just gonna briefly go over um, sort of the methodology we use. Um, the details of the report are included in your package. Um, under the patient safety program, we uh, actually have a robust incident reporting system, the MIDAS safety alerts. And we receive um, uh, between seven and 8,000 uh, incident reports that are reviewed. Uh, every single one is reviewed individually by a patient safety team member. And um, 
a, uh, an assigned manager and often a physician or a physician chief regarding the incidences that are brought forth. Um, we risk stratify each and every event uh, through a category by uh, A through I. Anything E and above um, it means that harm has reached the patient and there was some type of intervention that needed to be done to ensure that the patient either return back to baseline or if there was any harm, what did we do as an organization to prevent the reoccurrence? Um, during the course of the last couple of years, we have really evolved with this report because the board members have also asked really insightful questions to, to further understand details of how to manage any potential harm to our patients and as an organization, how we can move forward and, and provide high quality care. So if you look at the report, it actually breaks it up to harm events, that, which are risk events, and then it categorizes all of the risk events based on the ones that reached E, meaning harm, all the way through I, which is death of a patient um, based on the care that was provided. And um, Darshan, can you show us that report? Uh, can you screenshot that for us or screen mirror it while you're talking through it? Oh, can I can I take control of the of these? Uh, is that possible? That I can. I think that has to be enabled. Um, it has to be enabled. I tried screen sharing for you. Okay. Darshan, but I think it, I did. Okay. Uh, uh, is it possible to um, enable uh, Darshan so she can show us some of these reports? That, that would probably Okay, be. look, I, I have access to it now. Um, I, I can go ahead and do it for you, Darshan. Uh, um, I, I, I've got so, it. I've got it right. Trustees, this is on page 176 of your packet. I've got it right here. Okay, let me... Um, I apologize. <laughs> hmm. Let me share. Can you see it? Yep, we got it. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So um, all of the events are then further, um, further. Darshan, are you able to pull up the open the open session report? This is a closed one. If you just close this and rather um, display the open session report, please. I apologize. No, it's okay. It's a team. Give me one second. Of course, your fingers don't work as fast when everybody's waiting. <laughs> so sorry. And I know time is of the essence today. Okay, we're all good. Um, I appreciate that. Um, let's see, open. So we want the open session. Okay, now. I might have to, I've got that up. Okay, and then. So trustees, as we're, as, okay. as she's oh, here it comes. Here it is, is this, I am pretty sure yep. this, this is the correct one, okay. Um, thank you again, everyone. I'm Darshan, I'm just gonna quickly. <laughs> so, um, what we want to what we want to share with the board is one 
um, the type of uh, the volume of safety alerts that are coming in the organization. And um, secondly, the layer is how the significance of, of the alerts. Anything E and above, we have now incorporated into our two north metrics because we want to bring this total harm rate. We want to set targets so we can bring that down lower and lower. And, and as you see over the past few years, it has been going uh, on a downward trend, which is what our goal is. Um, then we also want to share with the board what are the what are the top types of risks that are happening across the system, and um, and where do they fall in the harm harm significance? Uh, what what we have um, also done is we try to risk stratify all of our harm events to determine if there's any potential vulnerabilities um, in uh, in the data that we're showing. This past month or so, we did um, identify that there were an increase of skin breakdowns, which is, is an E or greater event. So we were um, we're, we are trying to identify what the causal factors of that and what we can proactively do to reduce any further skin events um, across our system. And we're looking into that and can report that at future, um, future meetings. Um, this, these are patient relation events, which are also discussed here at the board. What we have identified in the past two years that many of the events that's, uh, that have started off as a complaint um, are being managed at the complaint level and are not being escalated as a grievance. If we can do service recovery when the event surfaces, that's actually better for the patient and families and improves patient satisfaction and um, care outcomes. Um, so our grievances have dropped over time, uh, which is a positive sign uh, of, of intervention proactively rather than it escalating to a grievance. Um, and then again, the categories are just broken down of where those grievances, uh, uh, the where they're landing and how, what we can do as an organization to try to mitigate those issues. Um, the, the next part is any sentinel reportable or high risk event, um, our organization has implemented a thorough and credible uh, multidisciplinary root cause analysis. Um, we uh, pull together the entire team and we um, do a very, very thorough investigation, cause uh, process mapping, root cause analysis, and we collectively come up with action plans that will address the gaps in care. Um, those events are brought to the board to discuss and um, what type of actions are being taken and what the trends show over time as far as are we able to, are we able to reduce those kind of events are we still seeing those consistently across our system? So that gives us an opportunity to share this uh, transparency and, and glean some insight from our board members. Um, the next thing I want to highlight is the upcoming culture of safety survey. Um, as a patient safety leader, I think this is uh, some of these programs are the backbone of the of the foundational work that we need to do as an organization. The culture of safety really focuses on what 
what our values and what drives some of the outcomes of the organization and um, empowering our frontline staff to speak up and, and let their issues be known. Um, in the past, uh, we, we've done this survey three years. Last year, we did not do this survey, but the survey window will open as of February 22nd through March 15th. Um, I would really request that um, all of our leaders and board members really promote participation in this survey so that we can really understand the culture that drives the outcomes um, at, at Alameda Health System. Um, we, we will be conducting uh, a lot of uh, promotional marketing, uh, partnering with our PACE team. But the goal is for us to really understand some of the beliefs and values of our frontline staff and try to address what drives um, the culture at AHS and the outcomes that we actually um, experience as a healthcare system. Um, so, and, and again, this is not set in stone. This is sort of my proposed uh, goal, but over the three years that we've taken it, we have seen incremental participation rates. Last, uh, in 2020, we actually, um, uh, our rate was 69%. I would love to see it uh, greater than 75% participation. And I think with just uh, a really challenging year last year with COVID and a lot of other new challenges that we are facing even today with the change in our leadership and board members, I would really um, like to get maximum participation so we can really understand the needs of our frontline staff and providers um, to, to address those, those barriers uh, that, we're, that we are, are faced with. Um, and then the final, um, the final uh, patient safety initiative that I would really like to um, uh, promote for this calendar year is uh, implementation of a just culture policy. And, um, you know, by creating a just culture would really, um, as a patient safety leader and all the events that, that I've um, been tasked to either do RCAs or manage and, and trend the data over the last two and a half years, um, there are opportunities for us as an organization to create an open and fair culture. Um, there, there, we need to have a, a, a set a system and policies that would approve um, the amount, the level of accountability, and um, and set clear expectations for our staff our management and the organization as a whole. By implementing a just culture, we can create a fair and just system to be able to do that and um, drive better outcomes. And it has been you know, uh, evidence-based that if you have a just culture, uh, performance improves, outcomes improve, because people are held accountable to do the right thing and we give them the tools uh, to be successful in that. So. Um, I think for my two initiatives, oh, but I think Dr. Dr. Bouquet will be asking me about ranking my, my priorities, so I don't want to jump the gun. Uh, let's, 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 let's just go to that. Uh, we're, we're, uh, you know, this is a great report. Again, I, uh, apologies to trustees, we're drinking through multiple fire hoses here, especially the new ones, but that's okay. We're, we're here to help us. Is it okay if we jump to, your, to the, those three questions to move our agenda along? Yes, 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 definitely. 
So again, this was a great written out report and, and Darshan's report has actually given you context. We now know that there's this risk stratification scoring system A through I, and that fundamental knowledge will help you navigate most of these reports when you look at them again and again. So um, what do you got for us, Darshan, on your rank list of your top three concerns? My top three concerns, um, one is uh, uh, implementing the just culture. Um, I, I feel it's long overdue and we need um, organizational accountability, individual accountability and clear expectations um, to, to provide safe and reliable care for our patients. Got it. What's your number two? Uh, number two is um, the uh, culture of safety survey goes hand in hand with really understanding the beliefs and attitudes of our staff. And um, we need to fundamentally understand what drives the, those behaviors and choices. Um, so I really, I, I would humbly request um, every leader on this call to be a champion and proponent of, of, uh, of encouraging participation in your uh, areas of oversight. Because I think until we really understand what drives um, the attitudes, the, the, the behaviors, the, 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 the beliefs of our, our workforce, we're not going to be able to correct, course correct the culture here. Got it. Do you have a third? Two is, two is always good. I, I think that's plenty okay. for me to, to take on. <laughs> so from what I heard from, from, from Darshan, her top, two top concerns were implementing just culture and two, implementing a culture of safety. So big cultural comments coming out of our, our system director of safety. Um, so uh, uh, appreciate you as always, Darshan. I'll open this up for questions from the trustees. Uh, I have a question. How do we utilize uh, education with staff members to help promote safety? When we, um, I had mentioned that we do root cause analysis of every single sentinel or high risk event um, in the organization. Um, we as an organization over the last two years have done over um, I, I think it was 126 root cause analysis. In each of those uh, venues, we have invited a very robust multidisciplinary team, and that includes frontline staff, providers, leaders, managers, even residents, because we are a teaching hospital, a teaching organization. We uh, we abundantly share any uh, gaps that we identify as an organization and try um, from a uh, perspective of systems design to put safer processes in place so that the next employee is not put in a, in a position to potentially cause harm to a patient because maybe they didn't have the right equipment or the right education. So when we identify gaps, we address them and that information is shared um, openly and in, in transparent forums. Okay. I think what I mean to say is, um, how are staff trained and educated? Uh, 
I've actually had people come to me and say that we don't have any nurse educators on staff and all our clinical nurse specialists have been fired or allowed to resign. Um, so when I hear that we don't have an education team, I get really concerned and I need to just ascertain if that is accurate. And if so, um, how do people understand proper training without uh, education staff, specific education staff? I think I'm going to defer. I know that th that's in transition at this time, and I know one of our other leaders on the call may be able to give a more accurate, um, you know, uh, where status on that. Um, so I would like to, I don't know if uh, Janet, you have a current um, sort of time frame or what the current status is uh, on that question. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to comment too much there, Trustee Esteen, there is a, a lot uh, that uh, precipitated the uh, clinical education department from being dismissed, and that is an ongoing um, saga. I'm going to have a meeting tomorrow with uh, James Jackson, and we'll, we'll, we'll um, give a little bit more insight into that. But uh, yes, you're correct. At this point, there are no clinical educators, and those are for reasons that I'm, I'm not going to disclose at this point. Um, and they that department no longer reports to me, it reports to Sylvia Lozano, but they are currently doing an assessment and they are currently um, looking to have re, or not rehire, but hire a clinical educator to fill the vacant roles. So I, I think that's all I'm going to say at this point, but there's, there's more to the story. So uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, Sylvia Lozano is in what role? She's the uh, director, uh, uh, VP actually of uh, system transformation, and she's over the clinical education department. Trustee Esteen, this is Sylvia Lozano. I am on the call. So um, I'm glad that I stayed tuned to, to this segment of the, the discussion. Want to be respectful of time, Trustee um, Bouquet. Yes, the department did transition to my leadership mid-December. And over the last 30 days, we have done extensive deep dives into education funding, where the areas of opportunity are within the department. My background is lean and as well as I do have a regulatory background. So have been able to identify where some of the gaps are. So we'll be um, bringing that information forward to, to leadership such as, you know, our CNE, um, our interim CEO, um, Dr. Hussein and I have been in conversations um, sharing some of the things I've been finding, so, so more to come. Um, but we are uh, definitely actively working with our recruitment department on our filling our vacant positions. Do you have a goal for a timeline? Because having zero educators on staff is alarming. Exactly, so when I met with the HR department today, we talked about, um, how difficult it is for us to be able to recruit um, individuals into our educator roles for a variety of reasons. One of which is flexibility in the role of the educators. There are people who may not want to work an eight to five schedule. So how do we create that flexibility to be competitive, which we are doing and have modified that in our recruitment strategy. The other thing is we have um, made changes to our job description in order to elevate the, the salary in an area that is more enticing. 
from for uh, those people that may be looking at an opportunity maybe to lateral from the unit into an educator role as well as um, what might be of interest of other individuals outside of our organization wanting to be able to support an education role but maybe cannot do it Monday through Friday. Also we'll be exploring with our nursing leadership is how do we partner um, with our nursing leadership to other people um, within our current internal nursing workforce that we could potentially leverage for some aspects of education. And so that's all part of the strategy to be again mobilizing um, nursing staff um, with educational background and expertise to begin ensuring that we are addressing the high priorities that are closely linked to patient safety. Um, I, I am um, certified in patient safety, so I understand the urgency and the, and the comments that Darshan is mentioning. Um, and so we'll, be, we'll have more to come, but we can't, be, we can't find educators without competitive salaries. And our onboarding process, as you know, I may know those on the call, we cannot bring someone in, um, you know, right away. We are exploring um, potential interim contract um, educators. If we can get them, it's we're just we're shaking the trees and looking all over the place because of the need to close that gap immediately. I also want to add, though, that we, we don't just have clinical educators, but we have a lot of very uh, uh, skilled staff in our assistant managers and managers who uh, are closing those gaps in terms of competencies. The ED has some uh, very skilled staff there who uh, are on the trauma team and uh, that are, are filling that education gap as well. So it's not a complete dearth of education for our staff. There are, there are uh, redundancies that are built in. And I, I think Richard wanted to comment as well. Yeah, good evening, Trustee. I uh, just wanted to mention that in the post-acute environment, we do have educators. We have directors of staff and development. It's actually a requirement. And so we uh, submit uh, every two years a education plan that must be approved by CDPH, um, and then they give us the approval of that. And that's just the minimum education. Um, those are the required Title 22 and federal regulations. But we also do education on a daily basis. We do, we call them in-services. And so if we identify something through our QAPI, because we also do QAPI in tandem with Dr. Hussein, um, if we identify something, um, you know, or even through what we have, what's called an angel care program, where the managers speak with the patients at least three times a week, and they identify the food is cold or something was done incorrectly, we educate, right? And we don't just educate the one person, we educate everyone on every shift because we believe if one person is having an issue, it's probably more than one. And so we wanna educate the entire staff to make sure that clear to policies, to current clinical changes, uh, any changes to regulatory compliance, things of that nature. So we do have um, many educators in the post-acute environment. And so I just wanna share that uh, it is a big priority um, and, and servicing and education is a major uh, contributor why um, we do see post-acute doing so well. Yeah, and I, I would, would also like to that. add, um, sorry, I just would also like to add one more point is, you know, we, we also as leaders um, have a responsibility in the area of education and we do have um, forums in which we do that. We just implemented um, over the last 
nine months or so are our smile huddles, which allow for to have readiness discussions every single day on safety issues, metrics that we need to drive change in on a daily basis. What are the issues that are coming up within the departments and how do we problem solve as a team to address those? We, we address logistical issues, for example, what is not working? What supplies do we not have that will potentially contribute to patient safety? And also we have encouragement as the E and SMILE that represents who is out there doing things that are great? What are the patient stories? All of those things are also another just-in-time venue to provide bi-directional communication as well as education. Thank I appreciate all those explanations. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Trustee thank Banerjee, you. then Trustee Gent, uh, esteem. Yeah, um, thank you for that, um, Sylvia and Janet both. I, um, and the daily huddles and things are important. I think what kind of stood up for me uh, with what Richard said is that the repetition and the in-service, which is detailed, and that, you know, every shift, everyone has it. And the reason why we keep seeing those five stars over there is our staff are able to bring it on and give that kind of, like, incredible service that our residents deserve. And we have pockets of brilliance. And if those, some of those can be, um, can be transmitted and, you know, disseminated throughout the system. So whatever Richard does, yes, if you, yes. if you could like replicate that, that would be great. The second thing is I'm a huge fan of lean and some, and I, we have technical problems and then we have adaptive problems. And so sometimes like while we look at things within the system, I hope like when we are thinking of hiring whoever's coming in, that that person is very forward thinking, future thinking, because sometimes you it's not just changing what's in the system, but it's changing the system itself because that the container in which we are doing things is flawed too. So we hope that we can have someone who can switch things around and not simply kind of tweak things and bring, bring efficiencies into what is currently there. So Absolutely, Dr. Uh, Trustee Banerjee. Um, I've done this at Adventist Health and I've also done this at my prior organization. And I can tell you that we do have pockets of excellence. I have met with Richard Espinoza. He is doing phenomenal work. And, you know, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, also, I met with Karen Meyer today and uh, in the, in the uh, maternal child health arena. They have a good structure in place that needs some slight tweaking in order to make it even better. So there are areas that we have good, we can make them great. And then there are places where we are great and there are places where we have opportunities. And so we will learn from each other. We would will spread the knowledge and we will, um, you know, really encourage those people that are doing it well to help us come along on the journey um, because there are pockets of excellence that are happening. Um, and so I live in the hope space, as Minnie says a lot of times, Dr. Swift, and I know we'll get there. It's just, we just have to get there quickly. I appreciate the dialogue on everyone. Um, and uh, we've blown the agenda timing out of the water, but that's okay. We're here to talk, which is so... I'm happy that people are engaged, so I appreciate that. Let's close Can I just make a request for a report yes. back? 
I definitely course, want to get a report back on this education piece. I think we have to um, follow up. Uh, if the next QPSC is the correct agenda, uh, let's do that again, because I think um, the pockets of excellence are great. And the regulatory demand of Title 22 and post-acute also seems to be um, pushing and creating the venue for excellence. So, Trustee Esteem, will you hold on to that and bring that back on item H when yep. we forecast our next calendar, if you don't mind? Let's get a report so, back. Thank you. So, we'll go out, uh, we'll close out. Uh, sorry, was there anyone else? We'll close item E and we'll go into regulatory affairs. Um, the the uh, apologies to everyone. It's my, when, when it's not on time, it's my fault. But this is a super important report. Nilda's a super important por person for our system. And then we have Annette to go after that. The, the scheduled time was 5.30 to 7.30 for, the, uh, for this session, which was supposed to include close as well. So if, if everyone will be mindful of that, not to suppress dialogue, uh, but, but just to be mindful, I'm I, you know, trying to keep the trains running on time. Nilda, please, this is Nilda Perez, our System Director of Regulatory Affairs. Hi, Nilda. Hi, Dr. Burkett. Hello, good evening, board. Um, so um, I'm going, in the interest of time, I just wanna direct everybody to uh, the board report page 186 through 190 are the salient points that I'm gonna discuss today. So I think that will help people follow along. Uh, basically, I wanna talk about the tremendous success that we had as an organization during our Joint Commission resurvey, which happened the week before Thanksgiving in November. It was four intensive days of survey. Um, it displayed all of the hard work that we had done through from last February through the pandemic, all of the education, all of the communications, all of the work groups that had gotten together and the heavy lifting throughout every level of the organization. I could not be more proud than how well we performed. We did end up with a small list of, of tweaks and findings, and that small list is 12 between two different surveys. We had five findings on the MEDDAP and seven on the uh, on the uh, Joint Commission survey. So congratulations to the organization. That has brought us to today where we now were granted the decision of accredited with follow-up survey. So we are in the process of submitting our evidence of standard compliance corrective action plans. Uh, they will be due in February and March respectively. And then after that process, there will be a four a follow-up survey in four to six months. The date is dependent on when the Joint Commission gets back into its survey mode. Um, it's also dependent on when has a pandemic uh, hot zone, when we will be ready for survey. But we will get a little bit of communication ahead of time and that's where we are. So everybody's working very hard, working on those corrective actions. And we are also looking back at the findings that we had from February to assure that those are in sustained compliance. The next thing, but that's also, in addition to that, we are looking ahead toward our other, our intracycle monitoring surveys and our additional surveys. So we have already started to work on our regulatory readiness sustainability plan. And that includes um, a lot of collaboration with our operational leaders to enhance knowledge, device strategies, to eliminate uh, variation in practice, and to really promote that continuous regulatory compliance, survey readiness, patient safety, and quality of care. And through and in that process, we've um, enacted a variety of activities, including the Joint Commission breakfast briefings, that whole education series that go is free to all members of the organization's leaders as well as frontline workers. 
We just completed that in November, that 13 part series. And we also archived that on our regulatory affairs internet page. So it's available to anybody at any time. We also- Is something that, um, sorry, Nilda, could yes. board members be- um, Yes, yes. And that be shared like, with board members? I, I, I can I send the directions to uh, Rana and she can uh, distribute that to the board or I can send it to Dr. Burkett either way. I'll send it to you both. How do I do that? And then that they'll help ensure that the board gets that. Yes, it's a wonderful thing. And you also, for those of you who are in a professional uh, clinical category, you can get CEU unit score. So win-win. <laughs> anyway, so um, I also want to talk that we've also engaged in some um, work with our behavioral health care folks through some joint commission conferences. We've also worked on a new regulatory compliance platform uh, software program called Centac, which we are currently rolling out in training. And I would say much more about this other than I have a graphic on, on here in my report, which you can look at, which kind of summarizes in this one slide all the good things that um, Centac can do to help us stay compliant. And it's just a nice, robust monitoring tool that we're actually going to be utilizing for these ESCs and for other corrective action plans that we do in regulatory. But one of the, but our big plan, which we call our regulatory sustainability plan, is a four-stage plan. And the first stage is building that knowledge base. So I heard the conversation around education. I'm a big proponent of education and regulatory. We 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 do it all, and uh, we we're strong believers in education and communication. And so part of that is helping to build that knowledge base. One of the things is that we feel very passionate about is that that people leaders need the information to understand what's required, what the regulatory compliance expectations are from their respective teams, and then to help them develop the plans to communicate and support compliance with their teams. And it's always something that somebody at JCR once told me years ago. People don't know what they don't know. So this is why we treat it as a high priority for regulatory. The other thing is that then we try to assess our system readiness. We have already started to engage with Joint Commission resources to come back and help us do some site visit or virtual surveys and a virtual mock survey um, as much as they can do uh, to help us actually see, do that gap assessment and see where we are and where are the areas of risk that we can work on. So that system compliance assessment is kind of to measure our current state, identify those performance improvement opportunities and the priorities. Then the next stage is to develop some comprehensive action plans. Um, we abhor rework in the regulatory world, I especially, and we want to build that sustainable practices and monitoring processes so that we on all of our corrective measures as well as what our standards are so that we're always um, we always have kind of a pulse on where we are at all times. And we don't get caught off guard. And then the fourth stage of our plan is really the sustainability quality assurance performance improvement plan. Forgive my tumbling. I'm trying to talk fast um, in the interest of time. We want to utilize our active daily management um, that the STAR team has helped promote to stop the line, to error proof, to resolve those safety issues and avoid rework to maintain compliance efficiently and effectively. It's really about creating that standard work that just becomes the way that we do it here at AHS. And it's our hope that through this work, and it's on a year long, and it will be going on, it's a year long approach that we're implementing this, but we're really hopeful that next year we'll look back and see that we've got some good wins as a result of all of this work. And again, it takes everybody um, every at every level, and it's what we hope to see for the organization. We've had a couple, um, I have a summary on the last page just describing, we had a couple of complaint surveys and a couple of complaints that were both resolved. Um, everything is good. We're in good standing with the Joint Commission currently. And um, 
we are looking forward to our continuing work. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> well, Nilda, that was that was a, a tour de force and uh, and uh, always appreciated. So, uh, what, what's our take home point for our trustees who aren't used to the joint commission stuff? Remember, the joint commission is a body which helps with our accreditation. Without the joint commission accreditation, we effectively lose CMS funding, and yes. that that kills a system. Um, yes. it, it, it is this compliance team and this quality team which helped us navigate through probably the darkest joint commission survey we had earlier last year when we had five very serious, we call these condition level findings, and they navigated us through this in late November. Um, Nilda, it said four to six windows. So was that a four to six month window for the return from November? That would be, yes, four to six from the return and from the, uh, actually it's from December when we December. accreditation decision. Okay, so we're, uh, from our perspective, our windows March to June? I would say it's April through July. April through July, got it. So uh, when a joint commission comes, it's as big a deal as it, as it is. And Nilda and Tanvir help navigate us through that, and they do that very well. So I'll open this. This is this is compliance is one of our biggest exposures, and uh, uh, I'll say the ship is 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 now righted, and now it's about keeping it on the right path. So I'll, I'll end with any trustee comments on this compliance report. Oh, sorry, Nilda, I didn't ask you your question. Name me your top rank list. Your top problems. Um, I would say that um, th not so much problems, but just um, always mindful about uh, building that infrastructure at all levels for both leaders and frontline workers. That infrastructure that frontline workers, we clearly communicate the expectations of what they do. We clearly communicate with leaders and support them in the oversight and that there is never a surprise conversation that we know what's expected, we know what it's supposed to look like. And so um, it's it, so that there are no surprises is that it's clear, this is the way that we deliver care, this is the way the end product is supposed to look. So I'm hopeful that, you know, a lot of the things that have been implemented recently, um, changes in leadership, the active daily management will all contribute to that. And we will all start marching collaboratively in the same direction. Um, and then I'm always, I'm always just cautious about culture. Um, I think as regulatory standards change, certification standards change in the heart of a pandemic, um, I think we have to always be mindful of being able to recalibrate our vision of, of what um, good quality care looks like. And sometimes it, it, it's a heavy lift and sometimes it's not as heavy lift, but I think we always have to be flexible and ready for that. So those are my concerns. And I think with all the changes and things that have been happening in the world, as well as at AHS and in the county, I, I worry that people are flexed out. Yeah, <laughs> so got it. I so what I, heard, what I heard from our system director of regulatory affairs, her two top areas of focus are our infrastructure, and which is a very broad term, of course, and to the culture, which sort of feeds the infrastructure. You know, one one last uh, phrase, and anyone who comes to QPSC will hear me say the same things over and over again. Um, every system is perfectly designed to achieve its results, right? So, so our opportunity is to determine where our infrastructure went right historically and how we can uh, adapt it and manage it towards something better. So, appreciate your report. With that, we'll close out. Uh, barring any other comments from trustees on the compliance report. We'll close out item E and we'll go into item F and we're already in the bonus time, my fault. 
This is, uh, sorry, item G, this is the True North metric dashboard. Annette Johnson is our quality analytics manager and she does such a great job on this. So uh, Annette, if you'll just tell us what True North metrics are, and we don't necessarily need to go through a detail of each of the 13 items because the first page sort of describes them, but I want us to use this as our springboard for our subsequent dialogues, if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. Um, if you could stop sharing, I can put up the dashboard. Thank you. Thanks, Nilda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the true north metric, uh, so the term true north metric means what these are sort of the overall uh, strategic uh, metrics to sort of provide a true north on our overall performance. So when you're trying to look at our um, a balance of metrics across, uh, for this committee, three quality, three pillars. So one is access. Do patients have access? Can they get in and see care in a timely manner? Um, the second is quality, which is to say uh, quality and safety. Are we um, providing a safe, high quality care environment? So we focus our metrics on those. Um, so in this bucket, you'll see um, our quit metrics, which is a, over, a large overarching initiative that includes 57 different metrics focused on preventative and timely care, as well as um, improvements in safety and reduction in uh, antibiotic usage and all other key sort of indicators. And then we have our harm metrics as well as um, our safety metrics. And then our last one, which is patient experience, because we know that when patients um, have a positive interaction with our system, they um, one, walk away with more faith. They walk away with more faith in their care, trust in their environment, and also are, uh, tend to comply more with the plans of care because they understand them and can participate and advocate for themselves within the system. So those are sort of the, the three main buckets under which we place our metrics. Um, and we actively are working on them. So for our patient experience metrics, we're looking at both our inpatient satisfaction, which is our HCAPs, and our outpatient satisfaction. So those are our ambulatory clinic visits. Did you need more detail than that, Taft? Or did um, I no, Annette, I, I think that's a great kind of primer because again, our trustees are drinking from the fire hose here. There's so many dashboards. I, I, I really appreciate that. The, 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 the work that, that's required to just generate this one page is, 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 is <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, to, to the trustees, this is again our true North metric dashboard. These are our system level uh, dashboards, uh, hence the true North uh, uh, nomenclature. Literally there are hundreds, if not thousands of other data which feed these sets. The, every, every year, the respective committees vote or approve, I shall say, a set of those which, which migrate to this system level board. These are the 11 that this uh, committee um, approved under the recommendation of the quality committee, um, I mean, the quality department uh, earlier, uh, uh, sorry, in uh, June, July of 2020. Um, we get to redecide on these every year and we take in consideration what data we have, what we can get and, and, and the like, but these are those that have been chosen. If you're, if you're looking on the column, those are pillars. Uh, and it's funny, which is something which is gonna be probably brought up in a later later format. These pillars, are, we have five pillars under our system, I believe. Access, quality, experience, network, and finance. These pillars were actually developed under the Lassiter administration in 2011 and 2012. 
and and I think there's a value to them. We just have to determine whether they're still right size for us. We've continued these pillars since about 2011, 2012, and chosen the dashboards uh, at, through reach each of those respective entities. Um, so these dashboards are built so with with color coding, which is an easy start off. And if you just go read through each of these, you can you can see kind of how we're doing on those respective. Are there other data points? Absolutely, there are other, there are so many data points, but these are the ones which sort of give us that pulse check on quality. And um, uh, appreciate Annette who always kind of go good with the data on this. Trustees, do you have any questions on, on this True North metric dashboard? You'll be seeing this every month. No? Okay. Um, thank you, Annette, so much for that. And uh, I'll, you know, again, we'll, we'll, we'll keep rehashing what this is to get everyone used to it. With that, we'll close item H and we'll go to, sorry, item G and we'll go to item H. I am uh, nine minutes uh, off schedule a little bit. Um, this is the planning calendar and issue tracking. Trustee Esteen, can you re repeat your request? Um, sorry, I got you mid bite. Um, can you repeat your request or uh, something for our issue tracking, which might migrate back to us in a presentation form uh, in a month or maybe two. Absolutely. And if I don't say it in the right way, yeah. just jump in. Yeah. I want to know the update on education staff. Okay. Uh, so, so we'll be here. We, we have now placed onto our tracking uh, list, uh, Madam Clerk, um, an issue related to um, uh, I, I'm, uh, because there, we have a different education houses within this. I think this one, our specific discussion was on nursing education because there's resident education, there's CME for the attendings and all that kind of stuff. Um, does it, do, do I have any proposals from any other trustees on any other issues that you would like us to track or maybe hear from at a different point in time? Trustee Esteem. I am curious about the, on a true North metrics, uh, how it relates to finance. I didn't see it on the, I know we went through quickly. Yeah. I didn't yeah. see it on the chart and I know there's lots and lots of information. Yeah. Um, so curious about that piece and also uh, what's the timeline for the reset? Got it. Uh, uh, Tanvir or Annette, remind me, what's our cadence on the data updates? Are those monthly or quarterly? I can't remember. Um, every month, the every data. month, but it does lag a couple months behind so that we can provide clean and clear data. Okay. Some of our metrics require like a 30 day window to calculate whether an infection or remission has occurred. Trustee Esteen, there and, is and a Trustee Bouquet. Yes, yes. Dr. Oh, Dr. I think you were just going to comment on this. Uh, just because of the or the order of the uh, full board meeting has changed in relation to QPSC, um, you will see a full True North metric dashboard that represents uh, things, for example, like network, um, uh, uh, human resources, as well as um, uh, data elements from our CFO's team in the full board meeting. Yeah. Um, so I'll be preparing that report for, our, uh, for James, and he will share that with you um, here in the next week or two. Um, and then since I have the mic, I just wanted to mention one thing at Trustee Bouquet that, um, uh, and we wouldn't have gotten time to get to it today anyway, is that please, uh, we, from the quality department, you will see a report um, with stratified data by race, ethnicity, and language. 
uh, we are working on that. So um, I just wanted to put that if you could, uh, we would be ready to present that as early as next month. Um, but uh, we will do that on a regular basis and cadence moving forward. So uh, Ronith, we'll put that as a second tracking item to hear from the quality team on heady uh, relation, he heady work. It's it's effectively heady work, right, Andrew? Uh, uh, Correct. On on data presentation for heady work uh, from the quality team. Uh, so maybe that can be a little ad hoc presentation. Is that okay? Is that acceptable, Dr. Hussein? Oh, more than acceptable. It would be a, a joy. Okay. Um, with that, we will close out item H and we're in the bonus time. We're now going to go into closed session and for the audience, what happens in closed session, we um, we talk about medical staff credentialing. Uh, we talk about 1157 protected items. These are uh, related to HIPAA and the like. And then we hear from, from council. After that, we'll come out in open session and our, our council will report what there is. I'm estimating that this closed session today will be hopefully less than 10 minutes. Um, uh, and, uh, and then we will go out. So with that, um, uh, council, let's go into closed session. Thank you, everybody. If you're here when we come back, uh, thank you. So the committee will meet in closed session as set forth in the agenda on the items under uh, the closed session. So just a sec. Uh, 